Would you open your Bibles to the book of Mark chapter 9? How'd that parking lot work out for you this morning? Was that okay? Was it bad? Be, be real honest with me. Was it bad? Took Okay. <laughs> That's why we're, we're believing God for a new space, man. This is why we're doing it. And by God's will, we'll be this time next year, we'll have a space and all these problems will be solved. But in, in the meantime, let's be thankful that Jesus has given us this space, paid for in full, 11 acres in the middle of everything Williamson County. What a blessing for that. Thank you for that, Father. Mark chapter nine, Jesus is about to cast out yet another demon and talking about demons being cast out on baby dedication day. What am I doing today, right? Only to say that, just parents, you know, one day these babies are gonna be toddlers, so remember everything I'm about to tell you. Jesus is going to cast out a demon in a minute here. And by the way, if you don't believe that that stuff is real, I invite you, go with me to Uganda next year. Who, anybody in here was on the Uganda trip? I don't remember who was where. Rutgers were on the year before. When you go to a place where there is no gospel, where there's no church, where there's no Jesus, and you say Jesus is Lord, not Allah, you say that Jesus is Lord, not voodoo or witchcraft, you think that makes the enemy happy or sad? Right? It makes him angry. So Jesus is going into a place where he has never been, the gospel's never been preached, and the first thing demons do when they see Jesus is go a little crazy. So we're at uh, the village of Kapeka, Uganda last month, and uh, I've just proclaimed the gospel to about a thousand people that Jesus is Lord, witchcraft is not. I'm not asking you to add another God to your list. I'm saying tear up your list. There is no list. It's him. And many people began to make decisions to trust Christ for the first time in their lives. We're praying for them. And literally second row, uh, a lady does what you're about to see here. She shrieks, she goes nuts, and is flailing and ends up on the ground. And here's the thing, she was just the first one. It's like, you know like when you're popping popcorn and the first one goes off and then sometimes it's a few minutes, seconds and the next one goes off and then it's bam, 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 bam. <laughs> It was like the Holy Spirit fire was going on. They were just popping off like popcorn. It was like, well, this is about to get real. But here's the beauty of this. That, and that happened. Like nobody said, anybody got demon possessed. I'm not making, putting thoughts in their minds. These are people who have never heard the gospel who are the demonic activities just rising up inside of them. But you know what's awesome is to watch a woman who has been tortured by that demonic oppression, possession, be calm when it's over. To see that happen flail and she gets up and she's free. That's what Jesus does. Now my question that I want as I read this passage that I want you to be thinking about. So Jesus is about to cast a demon out of a little boy or young man. Where do you think that demon went? So we know from a couple chapters ago what we know is that he didn't send them to hell because the demon said have you come to torture us before our time? Probably in their best Schmeagle voice. <laughs> Precious monster. Did you come? And he said, he didn't. So they go into these pigs and they do what demonic does. They destroy people. They destroy property. They destroy economies. That's what happened. Now, so that's 6,000 demons. And then this one that we're talking about today, let's say 6,001 of the millions of de demons in the... What do you think they've been doing for 2,000 years? Where do you think they are right now? What do you think they're up to? Think they're just hanging? Like, well, that was too rough. 
I'm just gonna hang out here until the time comes. No, no, that is the exact opposite of what's happening. And I bring that up because we're living at a time right now where we're asking the same question that the demoniac of Gadarenes that the people were asked there. What was happening there was they were cast, these demons, they saw what it did to this man, they couldn't control him. They tried to chain him up and they said, we can't chain him. He's, so they've got him off of this other place so he can't hurt anybody, okay? And then they see the pigs and they're dead and they see the one person that they know could do something about it, which is Jesus, because they just saw it happen. And they said, what? Jesus, get out of here. We'll take our chances with the demons, but we want you out of here. That seems completely insane. And then you realize that's kind of what's happening in Western culture right now. Last week while we came to worship, the young people, the old people of Dayton, Ohio, were mourning the loss of their children and their parents and their brothers and sisters. Because a young man who before he went into that place in his journal for months was writing things like, my name is Azrael, which is the God of death in Islam. This is my host, he is my human. Now, do we take him at his word? Or do we say, well, look, Jesus, we don't want you in our culture. We'll take our chances. We'll try to medicate this. We'll try to incarcerate this. We'll try to fix this that way. Did it work out for the Gadarenes? Not so much. And that's the choice we are faced with even today, is will we say that of all the things that we could do, whether we legislate, whether there's things that we ought to do, things we need to do, but none of it will fix the ultimate problem, which is there is a, a devil, there is an enemy that has been sent. He's here, he wants to destroy you. 2,000 years ago, 6,000 years ago, and today. So with that in mind on baby dedication day, let's read this word and see what his promises are and how we can handle and deal with that. This isn't a government conversation, this is a Jesus conversation for us. I'm not a government, I'm a Jesus guy, I'm a church. We'll pray for them, we'll do that. But what we have to do is say, then what are we supposed to do in such a time as this, what Ephesians refers to as this present darkness. Have you found Mark 9? Jesus, when they came down from the mountain, they came to the other disciples. This is Jesus, Peter, James, and John. The Mount of Transfiguration had just happened. They had seen this supernatural, three of them had, supernatural presentation of Jesus. They'd seen behind the curtain, and now they're about to see behind the other curtain, which is the curtain of darkness. And it says that the disciples saw a large crowd around them and the teachers of the law arguing with them. The other nine are in an argument with the teachers of the law. As soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. What are you arguing with them about, he asked. A man in the crowd answered, teacher, I brought you my son who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Now whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth. This is exactly what we saw happening in Uganda, by the way. And becomes rigid. I ask your disciples to drive out the spirit but they could not. You unbelieving generation, verse 19. Jesus replied, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought him. And when the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy to the ground in a convulsion. He fell to the ground, rolled around, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, there's quite the scene going on here. He asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? 
And he answered, it's since he was a boy, right? This is when he was a child. It's thrown him into the fire or water to kill him. But if, Jesus, if you can do anything, would you have mercy on us, have pity on us and help us? And Jesus' response, if you can, question mark, right? What? Everything is possible for him who believes. Immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. Such a prayer that I hold on to. I feel like it's my prayer every day. When Jesus saw that a crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the impure spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. The spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently and came out. And the boy looked so much like a corpse. They thought, man, he's gone. He's died on us here. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him to his feet and he stood up. Verse 28, after Jesus had gone indoors, the crowd is cleared, they've gone inside. His disciples ask him privately, "Um, why couldn't we do that? Why couldn't we drive him out? In verse 29, he replied, this kind can come out only by prayer. So with that admonition in the word of God, let's pray. Heavenly Father, pray that your word today will be a light for us, will be a lamp to us, will guide us. Lord, we live in a real world, a real Genesis 3 world, with a real battle for the souls of ourselves and of our children, and we know that it is your word that can bring the light and the lamp to that today. And I pray that as we bring this to you, So we bring this to you, Father, that you have wisdom for us today. It's in your name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen. By faith, by prayer, through faith, from Jesus. That's what we see in this. This is when you've got something going on in your life. That's it. There's this importance of prayer in it, this power of prayer. There's this necessity, this importance of faith in it. And there is the need of the presence of Jesus. And that's true of any evil situation that we find ourselves in. That's what we see here. Now, some of you have had real live experience with dark stuff, and some of you haven't. But what we have to know is this, that Jesus says that, quote, this kind only comes out by prayer. The word this kind, and look, I know Joe Beam has taught an entire series on spiritual warfare, so I don't think you can find that online, but if you want to get the, the down and the dirty and the low and all, go to Joe Beam and find his teachings on this. I'm going to give you a 15-minute flyover of this, but understand that there are kinds of demonic, there are kinds of evil in this world. It is not a robot shop, Okay like iRobot, where they're all the same and they're all coming out like, like, well, like zombies. Do they still have the zombie movies? Like they're all pretty much the same. That's not this. There are kinds of evil. There are kinds of demonic forces. And the Bible tells us that they literally have one main job for us. Paul tells us in Corinthians, it's to blind the minds of unbelievers. That's this kind, this, the main job of an enemy, whether it's a principality, whether it's a power, whether it's a ruler, all those different variations, their main gig is that those billion teenagers in the Southeast Asia don't know Jesus to blind them to that. And one of the greatest acts of spiritual warfare that we can enact on the kingdom of darkness is to do what God told Paul, what Jesus said specifically in Acts 
26, verses 17 through 18. And by the way, Ryan has posted this inside of our Facebook, our private Facebook group. It's totally on me that those, that font is so small, so I apologize in advance. We'll make sure that you can get these scriptures. But he said, to whom I'm sending you, to Paul, in verse 17 and 18, to, quote, open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God. That is an act of spiritual warfare. When you go in and say that in this kingdom, in Myanmar, that Jesus is Lord, that's an, act, it's an, an active assault on the kingdom of darkness. The Bible, Jesus tells us, the gates of hell shall not prevail against my church. The gates of hell lock from the inside. It's our job to assault the gates of hell, not wait for them to come and assault us. We are on a mission to free people from that darkness. But look, he goes on to say in Ephesians 2, when he speaks about this, and I wanted to share this with you so you could see that in the scripture there are different kinds of evils, different kinds of things that Satan schemes that he goes about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour, of how he does it. And Paul tells us in Ephesians 2 verse 2, that you and I used to, we used to live this way. The quote, the ways that he gives us three things, the ways of this world. I believe that speaks of our culture. That's the way that we do things here. There's a way they do things in Myanmar. There's a way they do things in the Southeast. There's a way they do things in the Northwest. The ways of this world speaks of the culture. And if you don't think that Satan can infiltrate a culture, stick around the United States for just a little while longer. The ways of this world, two, the rulers of the kingdom of the air. Some translations say the prince of the power of the air speaks of Satan. Speaks of that he is still here, the Genesis 3 world. There is a Revelation 21 world coming. That part where I say that God's gonna open up a can of whoop God and he's gonna take care of this. That's coming for him. But in the meantime, the prince of the power of the air is still here. And then the third thing, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. And I bring that up because there are those who are disobedient, but there's a spirit at work in them. They are not the enemy. Satan is. They are a hostage. That's why Paul, even before the council that wants to execute him, isn't even praying for his freedom. He's praying that their eyes are open because he sees that Herod is not his enemy. Satan is his enemy, that he has come to open his eyes through the power of the gospel. There are ways of this world, there are rulers, there are principalities, there are powers. Those things exist even to this day. And in our current climate, in our current culture, Western culture, one of the ways of this world has been to shut us up if you are a Christian. To make it so risky to speak up that you don't say anything. I'm, I'm gonna say this from two different ways. I wanted to help some little boys and girls in, in Mississippi whose parents, it was just very complicated, very risky. And I want you to know I was scared out of my mind to say that because the ways of this world says don't do that because it'll get all political, it'll get all weird. And the ways of this world would want to shut me up from that. And on the other hand, the ways of this world says if I speak of marriage between a man and a woman, if I speak of that kind of a truth, that then they would want to shut me up from that side of it, even though both are in the scriptures. The demon wanted to shut, shut the boy up, silenced him. The ways of this world is to silence us. I read this op-ed piece in The Spectator uh, this week. Uh, Ryan has posted these slides as well. But the, this is a guy who was a closeted Christian in the UK. He's from the, Aust he's from the Australia. Is it called the Australia? He's from the Australia. Australia, mate. 
And he, this piece is basically him saying that, look, I have been quiet and I have been not talking about my Christian faith because it is so risky I could lose my job. It is so risky that I could, it would be better if I said I was a Taoist or a witch from Wicca. I would get more respect than if I say I'm a Christian. And what he's saying in this article is that it's time for us, the West cannot survive without a re-energized belief in Christianity. Not, right, not the, the ways of this world, not even the religion of the Pharisees, but the ways of Jesus himself. And I'm just gonna read the, the last of this. He talks about that we can't, um, that it's disingenuous to say we're gonna base our society on these rules that come from Christianity, on these ways and these methods and morals that are born out of the Christian faith. He said it's disingenuous for it to embrace the morals that come from a, a belief that we would say is a fairy tale. We have to admit that if we think Christianity is a fairy tale, that human rights, that the rights of women, that things that we've seen throughout history, that Christianity has brought on the scene, that we can't divorce ourselves from our Christian faith and from the beliefs and think that that's going to do anything. And here's how he ends this piece. And I'll post the link as well. Across 2,000 years, lots of Christians have done bad things, right? Isn't that the normal way that we don't believe in Jesus because his Jesus people have done these bad things? He says, formal adherence to Christianity does not absolve anyone of the human condition with all its frailties, but Christianity always calls its followers back to the gospel's first principles. You can read the gospels or St. Augustine in the fourth century, Thomas Aquinas in the 13th, John Wesley, William Wilberforce in the 18th, or Nikki Gumbel today, and I'm assuming somebody from Britain knows who that is. I don't. And recognize that you and they all inhabit the same moral universe, the same culture. It is not the ways of this world, it is the ways of the kingdom. That is astonishing. Liberalism today in rejecting its Christian roots is cut off from all limits, all common sense from a living tradition. It's careening down ever more febrile paths of identity politics, rejecting the Christian universalism from which it sprang. It's harming people in the process. Sociologists have established beyond reasonable doubt that religious belief and practice led to the greatest human happiness. And I love this line. This, however, there's only, however, one reason that counts for believing in Christianity, and that's that it's true. And he says, come on in, the water's fine. The ways of this world want to silence you and silence me as a Jesus follower, just like they want to silence them in Myanmar. Benny was in Cuba this year. These, these people who are believers there, their career paths are specifically harmed by coming out and saying that I'm a Christian. Do you think that for some reason we've been blessed in our country that it hasn't happened to us, but that is the way of the world and that is the way of this world that it's going towards and we have to decide, am I gonna hide or am I gonna be open and say, no, I am a Jesus person and this is why. Now that said, principalities, powers, speaking of how it works inside of government situations, uh, I would encourage you to go and to listen to a talk. It's a TED talk by a guy named Greg Hogan who founded the International Justice Mission. Fascinating organization. And Greg's premise is this, that all of these works, what we're doing drilling wells, building schools, helping to alleviate extreme poverty, will fail if they don't address the number one problem, which is violence against people. He actually calls it lawlessness. He goes so far as to say, it's not that they don't have laws, they have laws against murder, it's that they're not being enforced. 
Now, from Greg's perspective, is that we need to change the governments, and if we can change the governments, then we can change the world. The, he and I differ, and we part there. 7,000, however many thousand years of human history have proven over and again that as long as there are humans in, part, in charge of government, that there will be corruption and there will be evil. Now, one day, the government will be upon his shoulders, Jesus' shoulders, okay? And I think that the part of that, we'll just look at it and say, look, we tried it. We tried every which way but loose. We tried capitalism, we tried socialism, we tried everywhere, in-betweenism, and none of it worked. Jesus, we're following you from here on out. But in the meantime, what we can do is say that, and by the way, what is the Antichrist referred to? Second Thessalonians, the man of lawlessness, to say that there are no laws. As Jesus people, when we build a church in a community, it helps to provide security. Because what good do you build, is it to build a school if a little girl can't get there without the threat of violence in her life? but you surround her with a bunch of Jesus people whose lives are being transformed by the power of the gospel and that school is surrounded by them, it's amazing how a Jesus posse can form and to solve that problem for her. The point being that lawlessness, and I could go on about the different principalities and the powers and the way that that stuff shows itself in our culture today. But the point is this, that kind, the kind of the shrieking lady in the second row in Uganda, the kind that wants to destroy children and rip them from their families, the kind that wants to shut you up to speaking about Jesus, that kind only comes out by prayer. Who was the only one praying in this little vignette? There's 12 disciples a bunch of teachers, a bunch of lawyers and Pharisees, only one person was praying. It was the Father. Because the Father, they, it says they brought him to Jesus. He said, I brought, well, he didn't say I brought my boy to the disciples. I brought him to you. And they decided, hey, we got this. Scoot on over, Jesus. We'll handle this one. This kind only comes out by prayer. The last thing you need is me in between you and Jesus, by the way. But by prayer means that I am taking it to God. I am reporting for duty. I am saying that it is not my will, but thine be done. And by the way, one of the greatest acts of prayer that we can do is the prayer of, Jesus, your will be done. Have mercy on me. Because what Jesus, I believe, the kind of prayer that's the best prayer is the kind that says, Jesus, give me the answer that I would have gotten had I have known everything you know. Give me what I would have asked for if I see everything you see. Because John the Baptist, his disciples prayed, please save him, bring him out, help him. And what happened? He didn't make it. Peter's disciples, a few years later, Peter's friends are praying, Jesus, let him get out, break him free. And at that moment, Jesus, an angel appears, Peter, and he comes to the door and the, remember the story, the girl answers the door and she shuts it in his face. Like, like we do today when there's like a, like trying to sell you something, like, oh, nope, nope. The point being, that was the prayer. Both of them prayed and both of them got the, the will of God for their lives. And the only thing we can know is this. John the Baptist and Peter both got an answer from God and they got the answer that God says, hey, I see some things. I love Revelation. It speaks of prayer as an incense before the throne of God. You, you oil ladies know exactly what I'm talking about. That's sweet. It's like the diffusing. Do they diffuse the thieves? Do you know what I'm talking about, the thieves? Diffusing. Here's what I think that means for me and for you. The good news is this. Jesus sweetens up my stinky prayers. 
I'm praying this and Jesus, it says he's praying for us, ever making intercession. The Holy Spirit prays for me. It's almost like what the Holy Spirit's saying, hey, God, look, I know that Darren's asking for this, but if he knew what, I, he would ask for this instead. So give him what he would want if he knew everything you knew. It's the, so, the point being that you can pray in that way, even if you're praying wrong, quote unquote, you're still praying to God and it will be, his will be done. All I know is that 25 times in the gospels alone, it speaks of Jesus praying. And if you're not praying, and Jesus did, understand that that's not. It's the greatest thing we could do is report for duty every morning. Not with a list of wants, but I'm reporting for duty to you, God. And by the way, in Matthew, so it says this kind that comes out only by prayer. So we're speaking about there are kinds of evils. And this is the one that we got to take to Jesus. We got to pray. And it says in, uh, so the, the power of prayer. But the Matthew version says that it was because, when he says, why didn't this come out? It says, because of your unbelief. There's this importance of faith in these prayers. Now I say that and some of you immediately might think, yeah, but Darren, are you saying, I, I remember when my mom was dying of cancer, it's been 11 years ago now, and I had well-meaning folks from friends in Tulsa, I guess it would come in as any surprise you've been to Tulsa, saying that uh, you need to get her down here to healing school because if you do, then she'll be healed, and saying, well, because if, if you don't have enough faith that she won't make it. Now, they're saying that because what did Jesus say? If, if you believe, anything's possible. So what the, the idea would be, if then I just don't have enough faith, and that's what happened. And if you've ever felt that, if you're thinking that right now, I have amazing news for you. It's called the gospel. Because he says, you had so little faith, but then immediately he says, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed. Faith is so tiny. So it's not that the disciples didn't have enough faith, it's that they had so little that it was even smaller than a mustard seed. So it's not that I have to have this great big faith, it's that I have to have this great big God and a little bit of faith in a really big God is way better than a lot of faith in a little God. And what do I mean by that? When I'm saying it's a lot of faith in a little God, when I don't pray first when something happens, when I don't take it to the Father, when I'm not praying, it's one of the greatest acts of rebellion, of a lack of faith, because it's saying in this situation, I'll handle it. It's situational atheism. I believe in God, except for in this moment where I'm gonna take care of this one myself. That is not a lack of faith, that is no faith. To put it differently, it's faith in me, not faith in him. It's saying, I got this one handled. With me, there are some possibilities. I don't know about you. Are you a worse possibility thinker? Amen, you might be. I don't know. I, I, run, this, I run the thing. If, okay, this could happen. This could happen. This is the worst thing I can imagine happening. And as long as that, I can still survive. And if that's it, then I'll move forward. Okay? That's Darren possibilities thinking. And by the way, I'm 48. I'm telling you almost every time it was something I didn't think of. <laughs> something happened that I didn't see coming. With God, all things are possible. All things. It might be that John's gonna to go to heaven now. It might be that Peter's gonna get rescued because he needs him for something later. It might be. But what's gonna happen is all things are possible to those who have a tiny bit of faith. And if it's about me getting bigger faith to get a bigger response, then I'm no longer having faith in God. I'm having faith in my faith. When you, the next time you're tempted to say, okay, I'm gonna pray really hard about this one. I'm gonna pray really hard that this is gonna happen. That is not faith in God, that's faith in my prayer. That if I pray hard enough, then my, maybe God might move for me. Faith 
prayer, those are important in it. But what if we miss anything, we can't miss this. It's that they brought him to Jesus. The power of prayer, the, the importance of faith, but it's prayer to God, it's faith in God. Jesus said, bring the boy to me. What did they do? Hey, Jesus, I don't even know where he went, so I'm just going to take care of this myself. And what was that man's prayer that day? I believe, help me with my unbelief. And Jesus said, I can work with that. Bring the boy to me. The last place you need me is in between you and Jesus. If I've got one job as a pastor, it's to point you to Jesus, not to me. Go to Jesus. I'm a pastor that, you know, we're all, there's only one great physician. Maybe I've been in the hospital a little longer than some of you, not as long as others of you. But I need the physician just like you need the physician. I'm pointing you to Jesus. And if I ever point you to me, then leave. Because you're in the wrong place. To Jesus. Did I break my microphone just now? Point your children to Jesus. We dedicated children this morning. Bring them to me, Jesus says. Bring them to me. It's this big, scary world out there with a big devil, with a big evil, with a real agenda that wants to kill, to steal, and to destroy. The last thing you need to do is be like the Gadarenes and say, Jesus, I'll take my chances with the demons. I need you to leave. Invite him. Bring them to him. He was there the whole time. Bring him to Jesus. Some of you grandmas and grandpas are looking at your grandkids and they've wandered far. Take them to Jesus in prayer. I don't know. It's just a tiny bit of faith. I believe. Help me with my unbelief. Take them to Jesus. And the reason we can take them to Jesus is the great big gospel from the start. This man, this boy was thrown down and he couldn't speak. Jesus was led like a lamb to the slaughter. He was silent, he didn't speak. Because he didn't speak, now we can speak to the Father. Jesus was strapped to a cross, held, paralyzed, couldn't move. And because he was paralyzed like this boy, now you can be free in his kingdom. This boy was thrown into the fire. Jesus was thrown into the greatest fire of all. And because he was thrown into that fire for you, now you can rise from that fire. That's the gospel. It's what he did, what he does, not what you do. It is Jesus plus nothing equals salvation. Take him to Jesus this morning. You guys brought those little boy and little girl from India. You brought him all the way to Thompson Station. Take him the rest of the way to Jesus. And it's a daily thing. I mean, I, I'm kind of in the middle of this right now. I got two kids that have graduated. One's up, she's married, one's in the Navy. And I've had those phone calls and those text messages going, oh, please, God, please send somebody. Please do. I want to talk them into it. Mike, you know what I'm talking about. You get kids that are like, they're their own. They're making their own decisions now. And then you start thinking, what did I do wrong? What did I, could I have done this better? Take them to Jesus. power of prayer, the fervent prayer of a righteous man or woman avails much. Not the fervent trying, daring to figure it out, not the fervent daring trying to get in and whittle his way into this, the fervent prayer of a righteous person. And by the way, are you righteous if you're a Jesus person? Yeah. 
Is it based on your behavior? No. <laughs> oh, this gospel is such great news. Stand to your feet. I want to pray for you. <laughs> there is a real demon, demon out there. There's a real devil out there. And I love the promise of the scripture, Colossians 2. And Jesus, listen to this, made a show of them openly. He mocked them, he humiliated them, and one day he will destroy them. We don't have to live in fear. And when you do, go to the, take it to Jesus. Take it to Jesus. The Genesis 3 world, take him to Jesus. And then one day, the Satan of Genesis 2 will become the Satan of Revelation 21 and 22. A lake of fire, eternal, gone forever. He'll wipe away all your tears. He'll take care of it all. And until that day, we're in the in-between. Jesus came down from a mountain and showed them a little bit of a look of what was coming for them in the future, the glorified bodies. But the rest of their lives are spent in the valley. That's where most of our lives will be spent. Some of us are gonna get mountaintop experiences. Great, hold on to them because you're gonna need them in the valley. But yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Heavenly Father, we hold on to this promise in faith today. Of real demons, real principalities, real powers that are in our country right now. And for whatever reason, we haven't had killings based on the color of skin until recently. We haven't had that until the last 50 to 100 years, 150 years. But the rest of the world, this has been since the beginning of time. This is just a familiar spirit. It's the enemy in our country. And even though we've been protected from it and we've pretended it didn't exist, here it is on our doorsteps in the same way that it's been in South Sudan, in the same way that it's in Congo, in the same way that it's in Myanmar, that that's your power of the enemy that is all over this world. But we, when the enemy comes in like a flood, the spirit of God raises up a standard. And I believe that our church, Father, in our community can be that standard, part of the standard of what you would raise up to speak against the powers of the evil one in this culture. We take him to you this morning. The Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord rebuke these demonic presences in Middle Tennessee. It's in your name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen and amen.